0: Hey everybody! I'm Ken Cooch Van Grouten. Along with me is Chris Rabel. What's going on, everybody? Hey, uh, we're up to episode 19. Um, sure are enjoying all this, uh, comments and response to, uh, everybody, uh, joining and, and, um, we're very, very grateful that you guys have subscribed and, and are here with us. Um, we're enjoying kind of, uh, get, trying to get back to the sound community. So thanks for being here.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I state every time, but this is our escape too. It you is. You know what I mean?
0: Totally. I mean, uh, you know, this, uh, this times that we're having right now in our industry are a tough time and, and, uh, this is our time to, you know, talk about audio. Everybody talks about how they want to, all I want to do is go back and just do a show and, and we're feeling that as well. But, uh, at least with this, we're getting an opportunity to at least chat about audio, um, which is, uh, which is a good thing, but, uh, hopefully,
1: social commentary kind of guy on social media, not social commentary. Like I'm not going to get political, but <clears throat> the other day I was driving down the road and I heard some song on the radio by one of my clients I fucking teared up, man. Like, <laughs> I just, I know. I feel like super <laughs> sad saying that, but I don't mean I wasn't sitting there weeping, but it was like a yeah. grip the wheel kind a of moment. And I'm just like, man, I was so tempted to like jump on some social media platform and be like, guys, I miss this shit so bad.
0: Well, you definitely. Know, they, I mean, uh, um, I think that's the kind of the overall thing out there. You know, of course, everyone is worried about um, financial insecurity. But I think the real deal is, is that we all love what we do. And so um, not being able to do what we love um, is, you know, takes a toll on us. So it
1: does. and we're starting to <clears throat> excuse me. Also, we're starting to get our own little island as as an industry where the country opening up but we're not opening up. I know. You know. So suddenly we're adrift on our own and it's kind of like, hey, no, 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 no. We're not okay. You know, we're not going back to work with mask on at 20% capacity. We, like we got a long way to go, you know, no, so. I know. It's, it's pretty intense. Not to throw a bummer sort of spin on things to start, but just a, a real thing. I know everybody listening is going to agree. Like we're, we're kind of, you know, cast adrift here at this point.
0: You no, know? for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, part of, a problem that we have is that we don't have a huge lobby. Um, there's not a bunch of people screaming, going, Hey, what about all these guys? You know? Um, because I, I mean, I heard a number the other day, which I think it's true that there are 12 million people that work in the live event industry. Now that includes, you know, everybody that's, that's, has to do with anything in the live event industry but listen to the 12 million of us are not working right now i mean that has to be it has to account for something like somebody has to stand up and say hey there's 12 million of us over here that aren't working
1: yeah um but that's that's the irony though like we all for whatever reason decided to go off join the circus have this cool left of center lifestyle and with it is we don't have representation. We don't have all these protection things, but we had this cool. And now suddenly it's like, oh shit, I could, I could use that right now.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I know, I know. And, you know, I mean, and along with that is we've talked about this in the past, when we talked about um, like even the last video, we talked about contracts and um, you know, we, most of us work as independent contractors and that works really well uh, when we're working. But when we run into something like this, there's no advocate for us. Yeah, it's true. So, Anyway, um, good times, everybody. Yeah, good times. <laughs> good times. Hang in there, guys. It's going to be okay. We are going to go back to work. Um, it's just uh, we don't really know when. Um, sure. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Anyway, uh, today's episode, I thought we've been getting a lot of comments um, kind of asking us you know, um, what's your favorite console? What consoles have you used? What ones do you like? And I thought that maybe um, we just kind of talk about consoles today and also maybe like even go all the way back to when we first started using uh, stuff. Um, Like what was the very... Do you you have a a memory of the very first console that you ever touched? No, I think... I mean, I feel
1: pretty strongly when I was allowed to mix a live show, it would have been a PD of some sort. Sweet.
0: Was I, it I a Mark 8? Was it a Mark 8? Do you remember it, that couple?
1: The Mark 8 had the like, it was flat and all the things patched on top. And sometimes it would have like a little leather flap that also would go over it where on the patch. Like, so, yeah. Uh,
0: and, think, and it had the knobs on it were backwards, they pointed at you. So like yeah. Boost and Cut was like backwards pointed at yeah. you. Yeah,
1: Marquette was definitely. If it wasn't the first, it was an often used console. Uh, that's so awesome. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna guess it was a PD <laughs> of, of, of some sort. Yeah, that's what, right. what about You, what, what was your first? Do you remember? Um,
0: well, I wow. come from I come from being a recording engineer, so like you know, basically the first live sound console um, that I remember touching. You know, I had a had an experience where I literally overnight went from a uh, recording console to a live sound console. And I don't, for the life of me, I don't remember that one particular show, what console that was. I'm guessing it was uh, a Midas, maybe an XL4. I'm not sure. But um, the first console that I really remember like using a bunch uh, was actually a Yamaha PM... uh, 1800 or 2000... I think it was an 1800 it had big knobs on it. I remember that. Um, and that was kind of, you know, the first console that I got to use a bunch. And I remember it not having, um, you know, a whole lot of busing. Like there was like two sins. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: <laughs> and, funny yeah. when you look back at old consoles, it's like you had two to four sins on a lot of them. You know what I mean? Uh Eight groups was a luxury. Oh man, I know. Now, look at all these things now where we talk about like, well, I have thirteen buses of effects just in case or you know, totally.
0: Yeah, when I uh when I hear guys start bitching about how they've run out of, you know, aug sense or mixes on a digital console and they're talking about, oh, I have I only have sixty-four you know, ogsens or 64 mixes, I just, I, I laugh because it's like, you know, this is not at all what um, what I remember uh, first starting out. But um, yeah, so I think for me, it was, I certainly got to use a PV Mark 8 a bunch. Um, I remember uh, on my club tours, that was like the the console at, um, you know, uh, those uh, old school uh, rodeo uh boot scoot places you know you would play those were like the the console of choice uh because they were cheap um but um man i used all kinds of consoles do you remember um let's see there was the uh god there was the ex-56 do you remember that console for sure yeah uh
1: i was like jumping into you know when i started out at the club level that was the thing of magazines for me you know
0: absolutely yeah i mean that that console um was sounded amazing but it had its own kind of that console and the Harrison console the ones that um you know shoko was using harrison's uh claire brothers i think had their own console um all of those were like super high def audio, you know, at that point. And the metering, I just remember the metering on the EX-56, which is similar to kind of like Doro metering, um, was when I first got on, I was like, whoa, look at this metering. This is I
1: amazing. think of, when I look at the, what I love about the SD-7 so much, and the SD-5 is that meter bridge, which reminds me of the Gamble, totally. you know?
0: Yeah, the, uh, the plasma part of that. I, I always think of like Doro meters when I think of the gamble and the ex56 they they it looks like that um, but those things man were touchy like uh, I remember being on a bunch of tours as a monitor engineer um, on a gamble and like every day you'd be <laughs> you'd have to bang on the quarter of it to get it to you know get That's it to patch work bay. yeah oh man yeah the full-on TT tash, patch Bay um, Yeah. Um, Did you ever work on a Rams?
1: Uh, The 840. Okay. So so when I started, like, I started, like, in the shit clubs. Not like I'm so raw, I'm such an OG, but I did. (laughs) So I remember, uh, I mean, I started, and so this was the mid-90s. So it was whatever was left over from the 80s, like, manufacturers I can't even remember, never even knew. Then it was a lot of Soundcraft, and that was around the time that Soundcraft came out with their Spirit series. Yes. A lot of spirit in my life. Mackie was like at their peak, so there was a lot of Mackie. Then there was tons of PV. Um and the PV that I had, the one PV had this one like large format mixer. It was like a real legitimate. And I someone right now was like going ding ding ding. I know it. I know it. But it was like big, like forty channels, and that was I, at I think you're called,
0: talking about the Mark Eight. That was their. It, that the was Mark, their flagship, it, right?
1: The yes. the, uh, the one the one I was thinking of is the Mark negative three Two. You know? <laughs> yeah right uh but that was a big deal it had i remember some of the knobs were pink some of them were blue and it, it might even have a center section that was a big deal i worked at this place called main street in murfreesboro tennessee i was a first i was just a dude that would mix there then i was like the house guy for a little while and that was a huge deal but when i made it to and i've mentioned that place soundcheck a number of times because again it was so formative for me they had among other things they had a ramza 840 in there that sound image sound image had a room Right. and they dumped in that room they had their phase lock pa yep gigantic boxes yeah the phase lock pa and then they had their carbon fiber wedges yep and they had probably their worst barely functioning ramza 840 and man i hit the big time when i had that thing if you remember the faders were like that wide right uh that was like a kid they were, it was super scratchy so totally. when you when we decide we were going to talk about this today, I was like, oh, the Rams. That was
0: big. <laughs> yeah, that that thing's awesome. Um, I On the other thing I do with Tater, uh, we were talking with uh, Dave Shadone this week, and uh, he was talking about those composite wedges and where they came from. And uh, he told us that uh, it's all from boat manufacturer like you know they were in san diego there or whatever and they were like hey these guys are making boats out of this composite material we could make it and make it light and uh he said the the problem with them initially was that they sounded amazing but they were so light that they would walk around the stage (laughs) we had a carpet
1: stage in room b where they were and they would like they would just move everywhere
0: yeah 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 those those right but yeah anyway i did um god uh god, what was that tour man i was mixing monitors for a bunch of punk bands uh the luna chicks do you remember the luna chicks oh, they were yeah. uh, new <laughs> new york punk band girl all girl punk band oh, that's um, cool. anyway and that was on a ramsey 850 and uh man that console you know it's not that it sounded amazing it didn't Honestly, it wasn't the most amazing-sounding console, but it was a workhorse. It always turned on. It always worked. Like, you could dump it off the back of a truck, and it would work, you know? Yeah,
1: it um, wasn't Ramza tied in with Panasonic or something like that. I, I you know, I'm not I don't, sure. I might be, but I totally may have just made that up. But in my mind, there was always some tie-in with them. Yeah, and that console, too, was cool, because it, Um, aside from, like, that was something I had read about, it truly was like very highly featured. Like there was a oh, lot yeah. of synths. there was it, that was a that was a cool desk.
0: And its metering sucked. It was all VU meter. <laughs> all VU. I know. So like literally, like when I was mixing a punk a girls New York City punk band, it was literally like the song would start and it would just go ink. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then for the entire song, and then at the end of the song, it would it just sucked. go. Rrr. yeah.
1: Um, I- find myself that way with VU meters a lot if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like I like the thing about staying between the threes on VU meters, you <laughs> yeah. know, like negative three to put, you know, if that's like a healthy place in mine, it's just like <laughs> 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 gonna get the rest oh, for a minute. Man. What else I'm trying to think of like around that. See, I never did any Harrisons. I knew about the Harrison stuff, but again, I mentioned that when I was at that place, sound checked at that all that's a lot of times the the Shoko engineers would come through and at night when they'd leave, I'd go check out their stuff. So I was enthralled with Harrison desk, but I literally have never, I've touched one now, like a defunct one that sits at Claire or something, but I've never, I never toured with one. I never did a show on one.
0: Amazing Um, sounding desks. I mean, you know, uh, I think we're about to get into the point that, uh, you know, I mixed on an XL four for years. And so we'll talk about that console in a minute. And this, To me, the Harrison was, in my world, was the desk that I used mostly prior to an xl 4 And they sounded amazing and still do to this day. Um, They're a little bit clunky, like the connectors and all that kind of stuff were janky. Um, And so keeping the thing running on the road was, was hard. Um, but um, if you had a good guy that was maintaining stuff, um, then then it was fine. Um, but they – I just – I mean, even to this day, like if I were looking – I don't know. Like if I were mixing Steely Dan or something, I would literally like be looking at maybe mixing on a, on a Harrison, even a, a, a recovered one just because they sound so amazing. Uh,
1: you know what? That's a good point. And this is something that I've often uh, – <clears throat> I've made note of, you know – In all other facets of audio, as things age, sometimes things just become old and outdated, but then oftentimes things become vintage. In live sound, nothing is vintage. It's all just old and shitty. Like these (laughs) top-tier consoles we're talking, and I don't feel that that's the real deal. Like I feel like I, in fact, I contacted uh, Jim Gamble, just cold called and emailed him uh, cold emailed him several years ago. Cold email. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, Hey man, would you rack a few channel strips for me? You know? And, uh, and it just, it never came about, but like, I think about these old deaths, like we're starting to get it. We're going to start talking about the Midas's and yeah, 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 that was real. That was cool. And like, yeah, some of those old things, like I'm with you. I don't know that, a um, I don't know that a Harrison wouldn't blow people away right now. Or what was it? Uh, Pav Boothroy did ACDC, I say recently, I've lost all track of time. It might have been five or ten years ago, but he did one on a Midas. What was the precursor to the XL series? Was it a pro? Yeah, I'm not I sure. don't know. You know what I'm talking about, the older ones. Yeah, yeah. He fairly recently, within the last decade, went out and did it. And I heard it, and it was amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this, this brings up the whole, you know, we've had this discussion before analog versus digital. And, you know, you put up an analog desk next to a digital desk and you compare them, A, B them right next to each other. Most of the time you and I and others are going to go, yeah, I kind of like the analog desk. It sounds pretty good. Um, But it's all the benefits that you get from digital that has led us to this place and nowadays you know the most digital desks sound pretty amazing but i think there is something to be said for older analog technology in including summing and the to me it's front end and summing right so the mic pre part of what an analog mic pre does and then what the summing what summing happens uh in an analog situation is sometimes a better sound than what's going on in digital um for sure so i think you know there is to me there is a place for it you know um do you know hootsie jim huth Uh, only the name who who is he what is he he has uh he mixed like um stone temple pilots forever Right. um but but he still mixes to this day he does um God, I don't know. Uh I think he was it's a boy band and uh he mixes a lot of the Disney Disney kind Art. of artists, you know. Um yep. but anyway, uh shout out to Hootsie. He's he's amazing. He's a, a great, great dude. Um, but in his house, his coffee table in his house is a Harrison uh,
1: uh that's table. awesome.
0: Yeah, um, Some of so, those
1: were very, like, aesthetically pleasing, too. Again, going back to the Gamble. I mean, that's about as good with the wood top and the, yes. you know, that's a, that's a good look, man. Yeah. I swear to God, we're going to get there. Yeah. When we get to Digico, part of the aesthetic factor in the feel, the literal feel of it yes. is something I'm going to make note of, too. You know, that, that matters, especially when you live, you're live. you on tour with these things. Like, you live with them. Totally. You know, yeah. um, you know what's interesting, too, is, like, as we talk about these things… And it's the same way now people get into these factions of console, you know, and you start associating certain mixers and certain mixer types with the consoles they use. And then you also, and particularly it used to be this way, certain companies gravitate, certain genres gravitate towards. And it's so interesting to, it's the same way today. You know, it's the exact same way. Um, Totally.
0: is. totally is. Um, For at least in my career, I went probably from that Harrison time uh, to straight to a an XL four. And it's it's interesting. You know, I know a lot of guys and and yourself included, I think, have had experience on the other consoles in that line like the xl3 and the xl2 and there's like an xl200 and you know there's all these different versions of that um but i primarily worked on an xl4 i only mixed on an on the xl3 probably for one tour i was mixing monitors on Got it the xl4 i was on for literally like 10 years um and that was the course of of uh you know um for me the the 90s into the 2000s just a little bit um but um yeah, that console was just a dream to work on it was an amazing sounding console uh did you Sorry, was that three? your console of choice or what did where did which, you end up or which one were you
1: talking about there at the end the three X, or
0: the four? the four the xl4 is the one that i always ended up on
1: the four is for sure where i ended up and the four is the one that i often dream about making my way back to eventually you know in 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 some shape form or fashion yeah i saw something today scrolling through my phone as we do on facebook some guy i don't even know who it was uh like i literally don't know who the human being is is a friend of mine and he posted something today about um the xl3 it was like a maybe a history of in fact i have somewhere around here i still have a brochure for xl3 i too no way that's awesome i, I inherited one from someone on a gig uh and uh I only used it then and, but it was amazing and it had the, the VU meter bridge on it. Yeah. So, but it was like, yeah. Cause when, once you got, you know, if that had the, the, sh- you only had, if I'm not mistaken, shelving on the high and low bands. Um, it only had groups, right. I don't think the XL three had
0: VCAs. Um, no, I'm trying to remember, dude, like seriously, it's been so long since I've so been, long, right. Yeah. And
1: then, then I made it to the XL four and that, to me, that is like still sonically the gold standard, you know, and just, oh, my God, it was built like a tank. You talk about another iconic meter bridge. Yeah, that that was as good as and I'm with you That that. And it sounded great. Like you weren't doing plus eight on the, like the EQ, you'd crack it, which I realize now. And the, you, you'll, you'll find people that will tell you they're like, yeah, it's because those filters were like wildly erratic and what you were thinking was plus two was actually plus six and if you wanted it to be this narrow it was actually this why that's why the musicality of it you know Mm -hmm. i i remember again speaking of the you know the factions of engineers at that point in time there was largely there was the guys there was the yamaha user base there was the 3k 3500 4k guys yep and there was the then there was the midas guys and that was a faction you know and I remember my friend, uh, Jason Swartz. shout out to Jason Swartz. was with Rex Ray in Nashville at a shop there. And they put Midas console on a scope. And he called me up and he was like, dude, it's so cool. And they put them both on a scope. He's like, because remember the, the rip or the, the thing was always, well, the Yamaha stuff is like super clinical and clean. It doesn't right. have a set. You can drop it off a truck. The Midas is super colored. He's like, we put it on a scope. And like nothing happens through the yamaha it's so clean and he's like in the the midas is just crazy it's all distorted and it's all you know and i was like oh that's so cool you know uh, well i yeah. mean you
0: know that's harmonic distortion right you know part of what made the there's a bunch of things that made the xl4 so awesome um and and but the I, I think you touched on uh, the front end part of that console had harmonic distortion in it that was super pleasing to the ear. It was colored, it had um, it's so funny that later on in my career now that I'm talking, you know, I'm using Digico and stuff, I use it because it's so transparent. Um, and, and back then, I used the XL4 because I liked the coloration that it had in it. Um, I, I think it's just a different, philosophy in your in your front end of things um but uh so the front end of that had tons of harmonic distortion which was awesome and then it was the summing part of that console um the uh, thing called over biasing that when you got in that console where you were between the green and the last yellow uh in the meter bridge part of that this thing happened where all of a sudden everything just glues together and um there's this amazing analog summing thing that happens uh in that desk that I haven't really experienced since. No. <clears throat> no. I
1: listened to an old recording the other day, some widespread panic thing I did and I know I know I mean I remember everything about it. It was on XL4. And I heard that, but I kind of heard that as you maybe started to push a little far. You know, right. started to get a little gnarly, and it was a very much a nostalgic sound. Oh, there's God.
0: a there's a fine line there. You know, sometimes you push too hard into it, and it gets a little wanky. But it's it basically output biasing is kind of analog compression, is what I can describe it, and sure. and it's glue, um, and it's I think it's a lot of what you know people talk about is missing from digital summing. Um, and, and therefore, you know, you have a lot of guys out there, you know, like Toby Francis, he uses analog summing. He makes stems out of a digital console, puts it into, um, you know, analog, uh, stuff and sums them because I, he's chasing that is what he's yep. chasing. He's looking for that, uh, thing that we experience with XL fours and, and similar consoles. Um, you know, it's funny you said that, um, the XL four, See my opinion of the XL4 is it's amazing and it sounded great, but it wasn't the best sounding console. Like to me, you know, the either the Harrison or a little bit after the XL4, I ended up on the show console, which was an, an analog desk controlled by uh, c- kind of a digital <laughs> scheme. Um, it was a it was a very interesting console. What's that?
1: Digitally controlled
0: analog. Digitally controlled analog, yeah. And it was a very interesting console. But the sound of that desk, um, you know, was unbelievable. Um, and and to me, uh, you know, sounded better than the XL4. But there was something about the XL4 um, yep. in all ways, in that it was a road warrior. It summed awesome. The front end part of it was really great. And the tools that it had um really kept it as in the top of my you know choices for like 10 years um mm-hmm. you know it had uh, some pretty janky automation <laughs> in yeah. in the uh, vca section did you use, I did, use that I,
1: I, nah, I and i did the whole I, I never used it at all with the vcas couldn't you get it where the input faders would also move like they were black i yeah. want to say there was like yeah i knew that you could automate the vcas and the input faders but that was basically it right
0: yeah but almost everyone almost no one had any of the input channel ones Uh, there was a lot of guys that had the the uh the vca ones i use the vca ones um it not all the time but if i like had a band that had some pretty drastic changes that i needed to have happen quickly um you know (laughs) i when i was mixing limp biscuit um they had a bunch of stuff where from song to song there was like a bunch of changes um that I needed, and so I was using the automation part of that and uh I was in Amsterdam at uh what's that theater in Amsterdam that everyone uh is it the command milkweg or i don't know what the name of it is i can't remember it's a it's an iconic theater that everyone goes to it's a two it's a balcony you know and the whole thing anyway um (laughs) some dude three songs in chucks a 40 ounce beer and just i mean it barely misses my ear and lands right in the center of my desk and just explodes 40 ounces of beer across the whole console and the the first thing that broke as we were trying to grab you know towels and whatever was the automation of the vca thing and literally it was going like plus 12 minus no. 6 no 13 jank and it was you know i i just remember it was almost like a, you know you wanted to duck from the audio that was like coming at you you know before you could reach over and mute the mute the pa um and uh i just remember it like totally destroyed the console and you know the production managers out there um and uh he's just he's out there going what what's going on and i'm like uh oh, yeah it was yeah. gotten i uh, love it <laughs> we we don't have a show dude that's it the console's dead some dude threw a beer and and that was it they they played three songs and um oh you called it oh man it would not work it would not fire back up it was destroyed Um, The
1: worst I ever had, I caught a beer. I've caught several beers in the console from like, you know, like when you'd be at a club or a theater or something and that balcony's there and you're just like, oh, shit, this is a bad idea. Of course, I've caught some there, but I caught and I watched it the whole way. I remember being at Red Rocks. Actually, it was twice. Once in Ogden, Utah at some arena and then once at Red Rocks, I watched the beer come flying. (laughs) It didn't hit the XL4. I had an XL4 with an XL3 sidecar. Which was a killer combination, you know. Totally. And um, it hit the sidecar and it was like just it just snap, crackle, pop. Oh. It didn't die. It just sat there and <laughs> until it dried out, or I don't know what the hell happened, you know. Wow.
0: We had to have a guy from Midas uh came the next day wherever we were traveling to the next day. He got there at seven in the morning. We dumped the console the first thing off the truck, and he spent the entire day with you know, Q-tips and whatever he had to clean the fucking thing. And it took him all day long, but about five o'clock, he had the thing all cleaned up and ready to use again, uh, which I, well, I always thought was amazing. Um, that's
1: interesting before we move on to the next era of consoles. Um, and and I, I'm still kind of this way now. You know, I went again, I went from like club stuff to XL3, XL4. That was my thing. And I never touched the Harrison and I never touched the show console. I never touched any of those. But even to this day, the industry standard, well, it's not necessarily the industry standard anymore, but with Yamaha desk, I was never, I mean, I, I like you, I use the 1800, the 2000, the whole series. I never t- have toured with a Yamaha desk. Really? And No, I've never, I just never worked with an act where I, where I did. And like, even in the more recent years, when the 5D became the, Goal, you know the whatever yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. most common. Man, when I'd get on a like the most common thing out there was the days I needed the most help because it was just nothing I ever I just never I loved what I used and I was never using it. So it was kind of interesting. Yamaha, as common as it is, has always been the one that I'm like. How do you do that again? You know, yeah. on the on, on those consoles. So.
0: It's funny, I did a uh, TV show in Los Angeles that was a kids variety show um, and that was the console they had was a was a 3K. And so I spent, I was there for a year and a half um, and so, you know, whatever, five days a week in front of a, a 3K, I was very familiar um, with how that desk worked. Um, not like looking back on it, um, not the greatest sounding desks like um, they were It. I wouldn't even use the word transparent it's not that yep. they were transparent they were they were colored but in the wrong way
1: <laughs> one of them was like not not transistor radio-y but it was like something very I don't know like there wasn't a lot of low lows and there wasn't a lot of high highs and it wasn't I, I, there's something
0: I, I think I the way that I always described it for me was um, solid state versus tube. Like, yeah. you know, to me, a Yamaha desk sounded very solid state and very sterile and very, uh, you know, uh, whereas the, the colored Midas XL4 desk sounded, you know, like a tube, you know, amp. Um, um, but yeah, so, you know, I had a fair share of tours on a 3K and a 4K. Um, I, I lost Yamaha after that. Um, I never myself did, a, actually that's not true. I did, um, okay. I did, no, I never used the 5k, but I did use the 5d, the digital, the first digital one, um, I used for a system of a down tour, um, for it, it had just come out and it was like the latest thing. And I think we were doing Ozfest. And that's what Greg Price was using. And so um, we wanted to be able to, you know, go from whatever, use his console. Because that was, you know, when we get into digital consoles, which is the next thing we're going to get into, um, you know, the initial sell of digital consoles was, oh, we only need one. And you can bring your, you know, bring your file and it's, we don't have to have, you know, four consoles in front of house. Um, which as we know, turns out, <laughs> yeah, turns out that's just not true. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that was my kind of my Yamaha journey was, you know, 3K, 4K, and then um, a little bit into the 5D. Um, but as soon as Yamaha got into digital world, um, I felt Found their um, their interface to be pretty clunky, like I, it wasn't even about the sound so much. I was like, I could get around this and do whatever I need to do, but just like paging through stuff was really clunky.
1: Uh, it, it was. you know it was kind of intimidating because it was such a new platform, of course. But yeah, me too. There was just so many pages, and uh, yeah, like
0: like buried pages. You'd have to push a button to get through. I don't know. It just it never it never was intuitive to me. There were uh, so many other consoles that would felt very intuitive. Um, But uh, yeah. Um, So, you know, I've had my fair share of shows on it, um, but uh, haven't used it too much. Um, What's weird about that is that, you know, uh, when they started making like the CL series and like the latest versions of stuff, in fact, I think today or yesterday, they came out with a PM5 um, which is their latest version of, of excellence. Um, I've only had limited experiences on those, but I, I know that their sound improvement is incredible. Like, you know, the difference between a 5d, that generation of digital for them and the new CL and larger series is night and day, right? What's your experience? For sure. And in
1: fact, I just saw I didn't see the new console, but I did see a post <clears throat> excuse me where they've released they the their current flagship offerings, which is the
0: what the the PM ten. What is it? The Revage. The Revage and the PM ten, I guess, or whatever. But this is their new, this is the sure latest thing. Like is. you know how Digico just released three three eight or whatever. This is their answer to that
1: right what is the one it's not the. Is it the 10 i can't remember whatever their current flagship offering is i can't remember the numbering scheme toby mixed on one you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about there's like i think there's a 10 and a 7 i think it's the 10 i did my the quick answer reply is yes you're 100 correct it sounds phenomenal i did um this gig at nam for yamaha a couple of years ago and i had a few days in the shop I prepped it there. I learned how to use it. And then we had one day of rehearsals and it was like with this big, like 50 piece orchestra and then all these different bands would come and go and this and that. And, um, it was awesome. Like, like awesome. Awesome. Everything that I had heard, which I wasn't skeptical of cause it was all the right people. And a lot of old Midas people, a lot of old Midas users were touting its benefits. Right. So I knew it was pretty good. It was phenomenal. Um, but I walked away from it thinking, I was like, it's great, but my excuse for maybe never carrying forward with it was a lot of my shows required more inputs than it was capable of. And I saw a post today that you can now do 288 or something like that yeah. inputs. Shit, there goes that. excuse. <laughs> and it, it's all the neat modeling. It's all the silk right functionality and the transformer stuff and everything. But it, it is a phenomenal sounding platform.
0: I have used it a couple of times. Um, you know, it's funny, my first experience of that when they first released that flagship console. I think it's the PM10, I think you're right. Um, Tater and I were doing a, uh, what were we doing? I can't remember what band it was, but um, we were going somewhere where it was gonna be a video shoot, okay? And Yamaha had made some sort of, I think it was Linkin Park, because we were going to do some video shoot And Yamaha had made some sort of deal with the video provider, whoever it was. I think it was one of those things like where it was at Apple or whatever. And So all these corporate people had made all these kind of deals, including Yamaha. And so they weren't going to let us bring our board groups. Like they were literally fighting. I mean, fighting hard saying it's, you know, it's the Yamaha. It's the latest thing. You know, you guys come and use it. It's going to be fantastic. You know, all this kind of stuff.
1: Wait, brief aside on a gig like that. The, the, the point is not whether it's, it's, it's the point is, yeah, but I'm already dialed in with my top tier client on this desk.
0: That's absolutely. It. And that was our argument. Like, listen, we have spent, I've spent three years creating this file and now mm-hmm. you're expecting me to show up and just dial and smile on this, you know, thing. And, I get where they were coming from. And this is not only Yamaha. I've heard about this happening, you know, other manufacturers trying to make that happen. Um, I haven't heard about it recently. I think it was a a, a thing for a minute there. Like, you know, console manufacturers were saying, well, you know, you can show up and, and, uh, you know, our console sounds great, so it's going to be good. Um, But I mean... If you don't learn anything from us on this stuff, learn how much time and energy Chris and I spend on creating a file for an act. I mean hours every single day chipping away at it to make it better. So now you're asking me to show up somewhere and just be like, you know, oh yeah, I can just dial and smile, which I could have, you know, but it's gonna be nowhere near what the band is doing used to expecting and deserving and deserving um but what anyway the the i tell you that whole story because what it did was uh, you know of course in the fight over it they were like well you need to come to you know come to yamaha and we're going to put you in front of one and have a guy teach you all the stuff and you know whatever so i i ended up spending two days Uh, like you in front of it with some virtual playback and I was thoroughly impressed. I'm not going to lie. It it is a great sounding desk. There's no question. Um, Guys that I trust and admire use it. Toby Francis uses it. Um, You know, I can't think of someone else right now, but there are, you know, heavy hitters that are using those desks uh, and they do sound amazing. There's no question. What I did notice about it was that it still kind of was clunky. It still had clunky interface. That is left over from their initial 5D thing.
1: There is. And and I was thinking when we were talking, there are other people that are, as they hear us talk, they would say, no, there's no desk that I can get to more quicker because on the surface, surface, it does have it all right there. It's just when you have to start going into the menu that it goes. So I'm with you and this just goes to show it's whatever you're used to as well yeah you know? i
0: mean totally so as we're getting into the uh the later desks here and the ones closer to what's available today um i think it's a lot like speakers and what we were discussing you know it's really like what flavor do you like um what are the options about something that you like um and now it is what am i the fastest on you know um because that's it sorry to interrupt but i ahead. am
1: wildly intrigued by, and, and I've said it on here a hundred times. I say it in magazine and stuff all the time. Uh, I also just stab myself in the hand with a pen. The, um, I am wild,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's
1: it. Uh, I'm wildly intrigued by a number of consults, but when push comes to shove and I need to get results really, really fast, I just, it's not being, uh, timid, I just, I need to go with what I know works quicker. And then, then I keep going, okay, maybe next time I'll do that. Maybe next time I'll do that on these other platforms. Yamaha being one of them, that experience I had at Nam was so positive that I just, I can't shake my curiosity on it. But if, if we all get a call tomorrow to finally go back to work, I know what's going in front of me. You know what I mean. <laughs> a PV <PB> market. <laughs> Mark by God, um, a crest something something something.
0: Oh God, I forgot about that crest I,
1: I was gonna say, it. I figured maybe at the end I'd throw crest in there. Which technically, the gamble was a crest or became a crest. That's so true. We kind of uh, talked.
0: But that. what was that? I don't remember the model number of that crest. There was, that there was. I can't remember what the front. I feel like the monitor was like
1: an LM or something, uh. and I can't. Or the life of me, remember what the other ones? That to me was a step up in my career when I started using Crest Desk. That represented, and they came to mind when I mentioned the transistor radio sound because after a while, I started thinking, "No, these things sound like yes. they just looked cooler. They had more shit on them. You know, it was like a it was a step." So I
0: remember they had cheesy buttons, though. Like the, the yeah. buttons would, if you hit the button too hard, it would literally like pop off and go shooting off into the yeah. darkness.
1: As red and white, the mute and the yes. solo yeah, were there yeah, at the yeah, top. Yeah. Uh, so let's do this. Let's move into what was your first? What was your first digital? Let's move into the mid two thousands now. <laughs> what was your first digital desk?
0: Uh, my first digital desk was the Digico D five, not the SD five. Oh, no, 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 no. The D five. Did um, You
1: have the instructional DVD that explained the sockets, patching, and all of that. <laughs> Did you happen to get that?
0: i didn't but i will tell you um so i got talked into using it um on a kid rock tour and um (laughs) about like two weeks into the tour not even that like three days into the tour i was screaming at digico like you got to get somebody here to you know fix this thing it's like every day this thing is not working uh so literally for like about a month we had Titus on the road with us, <laughs> like living on a bus, you know, touring with us because, um, the, the D five that I had was little. it was like serial number 003. Um, and it just, every single day would not fire up. You'd turn the thing on and nothing would work. And then Titus would have to get in underneath the hood there and, Uh, You know, Reesey cards, uh, you know, all kinds of shit. Um, And actually that desk uh, is the only digital desk that has ever left me hanging for a show. Um, It it basically died uh, when Titus wasn't there. It died in the afternoon uh, and would not fire back up. And the hard drive got corrupted. And um, I, I could not do a show. Uh, i ended up getting a monitor mix uh sent to front of house and somewhere there's a picture of me with a little mackie you yep. know
1: that's what we used to all do we all yeah. had like a little Mackie, and that shit came back down the snake and exactly. you flashed into it and that was your little
0: yep. mix. and it was me on a calm um actually back to brett steck brett steck in monitor world um with me screaming at him go turn the guitar up. oh shit turn the guitar down oh turn the vocal up oh no oh uh do something you know like screaming at him and there uh, i think there's a picture of claire brothers with uh, uh from that you know me screaming into a calm and and in front of a mackie um so you know it's funny because that was my initial digico experience um and they know that i mean you know i I, I love them and they make amazing products now, but they were in the beginning, they made this desk that was, you know, honestly, it was, it was a desk that, that um, people were carrying a backup to um, because it, it oftentimes didn't work. Um, but um, so that was my first foray. What, what was your first digital console?
1: I went for, I was doing the XL four and I watched our monitor guy, Brad Bluttenberg. He moved to a one D Uh, and, and, uh, and I just wasn't interested in going there and I don't know why or how I got talked into it. I did. I too did the D five. Uh, but there were so many things I wasn't sure about. This is so funny. I was hoping this would come up in a show one day. I thought about this the other day when I was driving, I had much like I still have outboard now. I was kind of like, okay, I'll do the console, but I still need some of my stuff. I had the first time I did it. The first two I did it, (laughs) I kept a rack. I had a whole thing of drummer DS two Oh one gates. Cause I couldn't, even though there was something on the surface that would indicate, yeah. I was so used to having the visual of my gates yes. that I couldn't do without. So that was my first. And uh, we, we mentioned uh, you mentioned something earlier about like, what's intuitive. What are you fast on this or that? I've always felt, I've always said, I've said this for years with, if you can lean over, you can use a digico. Like it's very much that same thing. Like, it's all like the the way the channel strips like it's just all and they've always been that way it's very intuitive
0: very intuitive yeah
1: that's true and i I remember we took for my virtual playback when i went up to the eighth day shop i took a bunch of da 78s and we patched those in to try to get me to get me going so that was the first one and i too i didn't have one die to where i couldn't do a show but i had one that froze I remember I was at, it was the, fortunately it was the encore. We were at the Chicago theater and it just completely locked up.
0: I've had it do that a couple of times.
1: And, and it was like, fortunately the lead, this is back. I didn't do snapshots and I used to just mute and unmute everything manually, all across the desk, all the percussion, all the, I mean, whatever was going on. And with the vocals, I would do that. And I remember it left a few of the guys muted. And I remember I just sat down on the road case behind me. We had like two songs to go and I was just like, you know and we did show that way so that was my first so the digico i went to digico d5 and then i quickly i'll go ahead and scoot us down the road a little bit then i quickly became interested in the digit design offering which i I know you did as well obviously you own them but um and i went there to the big ass d show i think i was there by 2006 i think i was only on the d5 for like a year and while i love that desk and we could go on with that one for a long time, even despite all of its shortcomings. I, again, you, we've said it on the show a number of times, amazing results. Um, I did not have a very swift, like I remember the the thing that I explained it as after the first show I ever mixed on it, it was some shed. I said it was like I could see a glass, a cup that I wanted to pick up, but I every time I went for it, it would just slip out of my hand. <laughs> like I couldn't, I just was so slow and I was so mad, oh. you know. Now, after a while, I got to where I think to this day, if I walked up to a profile, man, you give me that mouse. I mean, I can oh, just man. sync that thing from the like it's a video game all Absolutely. around so i moved, I moved to that next and just fell in love with the playback and the recording and the all the plug into every plug out there and so that's <laughs> that. how long were you on the d5 where you went Where was that
0: uh, uh just that one tour basically um. um... Oh, you know, I as I'm sitting here, I was trying to remember like the desks right before that, because for me there was a period where I I stopped using the XL4 and I was using um, other desks, like the Kiss Tour. I used um, God, it's uh, it had uh, uh, Amec Recall. Did you did you yeah. ever get to use yep. that? Yeah. yeah, he would talk to you
1: and had all the. Um, yeah, that yeah. was cool.
0: And Amec Recall, I had that one, uh, and then. I went to the show console. I was on the show console for a while. Um, and then ended up, you know, uh, on the D5. Um, and the show console was this weird hybrid, like we talked about, you know, it was analog with digital control. Um, huge execution rack, all kinds of shit to try to make it work. Um, great sounding desk, though. Um but yeah, so I was only on the D5 for, um, a minute there, you know, basically that one tour. Um, and then I too, um, ended up going to the, the, uh, uh, profile. I went straight to the profile. I only mixed on the venue like later on, like, uh, probably after profiles had been out for a while, um, is where I ended up, um on a venue for a tour. Cause that's all they had or whatever. Um, but there was um, a lot of wasted space on that. That was a was.
1: huge, that had the footprint, uh, it felt like of a 4k, you know, we're talking about for some reason, the XL, 4 the XL four was a great footprint. Yeah, You know, it wasn't as wide as the series five soundcraft or the 4ks or, and it's the still
0: program. huge though, dude, it's still huge. Have you like looked at a case these days, for- And if you remember, if you were at a tour, let's say you're at a shed and there's a
1: bunch of trash can, I'm having all kinds of problems today. I'm working on my props better, my set.
0: I know. I got it. My set's all weird too. Look, look, I get my microphones all in a different place now today. Anyway, I think it sounds better, but yeah.
1: Uh, Sure. So we, uh, if you were at like a, just a shed, which God, how great. I I saw, speaking of being nostalgic, I saw a picture of like a truck dock in a movie the other day Uh, and that hit me, you know? I know, I know. you would see like all the different consoles remember the four, the heritage would look like a boat the 4k's would look like a boat the soundcraft series 5 was so big you couldn't even fit it with wise in the truck and the xl4s even though they were super stocky they were like a little smart now if you see an xl4 rotate racco- it looks like a semi oh like, truck oh my god
0: it looks like a, it looks like a piano like what, no. what why are we dragging a piano around
1: yeah i remember mm. putting those things in like i was at the Warfield Theater. Uh, In San Francisco, and they would put your console in a cargo net and lift it up. Think about that now with those things. So, anyway, the profile, though, the profile was like one of the greatest. What was cool is we hadn't ever had a mixing environment where you didn't have to go anywhere you never left the spot or had to turn your head it was all that was such a wonderful sized console it
0: was it was wasn't it um you know i actually chose to go there because that was when i first started working for lincoln park and i did a bunch of research and discovered that mike shinoda and a bunch of other guys in the band were real Uh, Pro Tools users, like they were heavy into using Pro Tools. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a console switch. I think I'll go there because it'll feel to them Um, very similar when they come in and and we do rehearsals and stuff. So that was actually the the decision that I made to go to that um, was because of that, Um, you know, the client uh, had a lot of experience with Avid and I was like, okay, I want to make them feel comfortable. Um, And it did, they walked into rehearsals and I know that Mike Shinoda uh, was able to walk up to it and be like, okay, this feels like a lot like pro tools. Um, So Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, no, that was a great desk, and I, you know, I had some great shows on that desk, um, you know, no question. Um, but uh, cool. Where, uh, when, and how did you make the switch to? I know that you use Digico mostly now. Um, when when did that happen?
1: I want to say like right when the SD seven came out i think i want to say i jumped on an sd7 i really don't know why i made the change like i was totally happy with what i was doing uh i think you know we talked about not as many sins if you remember like i always used the profile in the mode where i essentially had like eight aux sins you know which i think was like the front of house guy way to do it maybe i was enthralled with more i don't know what made me change but it was probably i think it it was either 2008 or 2009 So I went to the SD7, I had Waves on it, Out. back to where it is now, of course, you know, although it's still kind of holding hands together, you know, everybody says, well, Waves isn't on the desk anymore. It's not, but they're still talking a lot.
0: You know, it's funny that those two manufacturers, you know, um, sometimes they point fingers at each other, you know, saying, oh, well, it's their fault, or it's their fault, when... Mm -hmm. I look at it and it's, it's all one device. I know that you guys are two manufacturers, but I, I'm using this as one device. So let's figure out what's wrong. You know, that
1: whole, that whole thing, waves and Digico is like such a thing. This is a sitcom. There's, <laughs> that's odd people, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, absolutely, it absolutely is. But I had waves on the ex, on the external computer. Uh, I'm sure I had a little bit of outward gear with it, but I went there and I actually, at a certain point, I went back for a little while. I think, well, to be honest with you, I think it was a lot of waves, Digico. Like, here's the thing with Digico. They are so incredible. They are so forward thinking. They are so, they are like the one manufacturer out there that is, they are a live sound man. They know our wants and needs. That a lot of times they would get ahead of themselves. You know, and and I have I, again. They've heard me say this all the time, you know. But there was this feeling for me for a while. I was like, God, I just feel like it's in perpetual beta. Like yes. it's so far ahead of itself. Yeah. That sometimes I was like, I don't know if I want the new release, and all that still burned in me to this day. Like updates, I let stuff sit before I jump on it.
0: So. I th- <laughs> I think think that's a good idea in any digital format, by the way, out there guys, you know, I know that the tendency for everyone is to, I want the latest shit, but I am the guy that kind of sits and waits to see what happens.
1: Absolutely. And I would say this to anyone listening too. you know, of course do whatever you want, but like if I start a tour, if it's a two-year tour, it would take a lot for me to update
0: that session, that console. Never, ever, ever. I, you know, the only, I can't. I can't think of an example where I've had to do any sort of updating.
1: I I had to, I had a modern, a very recent Digico waves fiasco, which it necessitated that I do it. So I was already in the middle of a disaster and then I had to like bring on this. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I had, I think I loved it, that I had some weird things and then I went back. I think I missed my plugins other than waves. So I went back to uh, Avid at that time for a little while and then I got to the point you and I have talked about it a lot, uh, and are often, you know, referencing this. And I got to the point where my input capabilities, but then my input needs were so great I couldn't do it on the. So I, I was essentially, I needed to go back to Digico sd yeah.
0: Well, that was, and that is the reason that I ended up on Digico was um, I. Um, so Lincoln Park was about to do um, a tour where it was one of those kind of Oz Fest tour kind of things. They called it Project Revolution, and it was a main stage in Sheds and then two other stages like out in the parking lot um, and all kinds of bands. Um, and part of that was they wanted to have a culmination last song of their show with about 100 people on the stage, right? So which pushed our yeah. inputs... I mean, dude, we had like a marching band and like a boys choir. And I mean, dude, it was crazy. And so um, it it pushed our inputs way past the 96. That was the limitation of profiles. Um, And also we were at that point where we were kind of looking for a 96 K solution. Like um, we just uh, the doing the, you know, man, this is a whole a rabbit hole going down the rabbit hole of 48K versus 96K, you know.
1: I feel this having the potential to be a three-hour one. Oh, my know, God, it, I know. It, it just, we just now made it. So.
0: I know, I know. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 96K, because of latency, and I'm a guy that used um, a lot of plugins involved in this, Um, I was looking for the 96K solution to eliminate some of the latency. Um, anyway, regardless, those were all the reasons... Um, and I actually did go to Avid. I was a heavy Avid user. I was using their profile, and I called them up and I said, "Hey, I need a you know 125 input 96k solution. When is it coming?" And uh, at that particular time, they were like, mm, "It's probably two years away." And it, it that was a long while
1: yes. in the com- in the making for them to ever make
0: that. That's know. right. Um, and, you know, I mean, they ended up with a product that's really great. The SXL is, is a great console. Um, but there was a minute there where the profiles and the D show was kind of like going out. Um, and they, it's where they should have been able to pick it up with the S6 and they didn't. There was a, a year and a half or so uh, where they kind of had this weird time. Um, and I think it, it had to do with, you know, Avid. Design was going through restructuring, blah, 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 blah. And
1: but, they did the thing that a lot of manufacturers do where that, that if they started releasing all the, they started going down the ladder. They started releasing all the, you know, the SC48s and then it did, and they were busy doing that. Yeah. You know,
0: for sure. Um, yeah. so anyway, I mean, that's initially why I ended up on Digico, you know, honestly also we talk about relationships on here a lot and, I had um, a bunch of interaction with the Digico guys uh, because of trade shows that I was doing, but also um, because I was involved on the wave side of when Waves got introduced connecting to Digico. I was actually the guy that um, was the very first, I, I was the guy that showed it to about uh, 75 uh, European um, buyers. Uh, that all came to London to see this amazing thing where Waves and and Digico are now combined. So I, I was involved in that, even though I was an avid user at the time, I was involved in that little bit. Um, but really, it was about the relationships that I had like with Webby and James Gordon. Um, and they, they did something, and t- manufacturers out there, take note of this. They did something that nobody else has ever done with me, which was... Hey man, when you're ready, we're always here. We know that we'll take care of you when you want to come and see us. And it wasn't, you know, you really need to be using this console. You know, this is this is the best console. And you guys, I'm telling you that this is what you need to come use. They weren't that at all. And that and that meant something to me. That meant, okay, these guys are kind of hanging out in the wings. And when I decide that I'm going to come and work with them, they are going to be 100%. And they backed it up. Their support is 100% to this day. James Gordon um, is is an unbelievable dude. I would struggle going to another console manufacturer right now. um, Not because uh, of anything to do with the sound it's the fact that James Gordon will pick up his phone at three o'clock in the morning for me. Um, and so, you know, I mean, and it's not just me, I'm not just, you know, I'm not like some special kid. He no. is, he is a guy that puts a hundred percent into that business. Um, and is now kind of the CEO of the umbrella of companies, um, that are Digico and SSL and whatever else. There's a bunch. Um, right. anyway, um, So shout out to Digico. You know, it. my point to all this is when we're talking about these top tier consoles, we truly are talking about taste, uh, just like with speakers. Um, But what matters to me is the support and their relationships.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said it when you were talking. I thought about I started thinking about James and I mentioned that Digico. I, I think they are just like i'm thinking of whoever else is out there you know avid has interest elsewhere and, and i i'm still i you know this and this talking i'm so god i want to somehow use the avid again i really do but there's certain reasons that keep me from it um uh yamaha has yamaha builds jet skis like there's you know ssl has their pedigree in the studio world there's a digico is us they oh. they are us i realized the soundtracks and the now they have interest elsewhere, but Digico is us all the way to the guy at the top. You know, James Gordon is, like, I mean, that is this, and, and I mean that, I mean this too with all my heart. That is as cool and as real of a dude as you're going to get. And a lot of times the person in that role, they're just like, you almost get the feeling that they're just giving you lip service or they're, but from James to, you mentioned Titus, Titus is still my first call. Totally. Still to this he's yeah, just yeah. the first person I call, you know, to Matt. And now, uh, you know, Chip, I deal with a lot. I don't want to leave anybody out here. Chip uh, and
0: Paul, you know, I mean, all the support guys, all of them. They're All
1: amazing. of them. I'm yeah. scared to name names and miss anyone. But really, you go to the top and they are us and they make consoles for us. Yep. And they know what we want what we need and they
0: ask and 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 i'm with
1: you you know and they take
0: ownership of anything that's fucked up too which is great they you know they will say to you like oh shit yeah sorry about that we're we're working on it we're gonna fix it you know um They, they, to me, they're honest. They're no bullshit company. Um, so you know, that's a lot of the reasons why I use them. I mean, I don't want to make this a Digico ad, and I know that both you and I are Digico users. So you know, that's why we talk about them so well. Um, and 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 just like speakers. Um, you know we remember we were talking d&b the other day it's like you might have gone out and gone to a tour with the gsl and been like oh man this is like they've fixed everything it's amazing you know and that's probably i would feel that same way by going and using an ssl now i know that you have had experience kind of going back and forth from digico to ssl what was that like
1: a lot of this is coming back full circle uh just where we started some of this again you look at the the Digico user base to me, the Digico user base kind of mimics the Midas user base of old. If does that make sense? No, absolutely. Yeah. Like when you look, and now Yamaha has done something. You mentioned people like, like Toby or Frank or coach. There's lots of, a lot of the national guys are really into it. They're starting because of the Neve connection and the sonic imprint. That desk is starting to kind of get some of that too. But you look at the Digico user group, it kind of looks like the, the Midas group used to, uh, yeah, I've gone back and forth to the SSL, but again, because I agreed to. It wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. But we're mentioning the ergonomic wonder of the XL4. To me, the SD7 still, to this day, I, it feels like an adult console. <laughs> a grown-up piece of gear. And I'll say this to manufacturers. You say you don't want to sound like a Digico ad. Of course, we don't want to. And the beauty of where we are and all this right now is like, it's just us. We don't have any. We're not beholden to say anything to anyone no, about, yeah, about yeah. anyone. So um, the with the digital, this other manufacturers, so many digital digital desks now that sound awesome. They feel like fucking toys. The faders feel cheap. The encoders feel cheap. The meters are they suck. You know, and um and I've struggled with that. And the SSL sonically out of the gate, I might like it better than the SD seven. Just for a second,
0: I gotta be honest. I don't mind saying it, but. <laughs> Dude, let me interrupt you for a second because that is so funny. I brought up tracks on, you know, I had an SSL 200 in front of me for the very first time, had never really messed around with it. And I was using virtual playback tracks um, that I was, you know, knew intimately, you know, uh, with Linkin Park. And I literally got mad for a second because I was like, shit, like this sounds better, I think just initial bringing things up you know like no plugins no nothing or whatever I brought my virtual playback tracks up and went are you kidding me
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then you know it used to be Digico was just blowing everyone out of the water and now Yamaha stepped up their game and now uh SSL is in a game and like they're summing they're digital summing yeah that's good fantastic EQ all of those things. So I won't stay on it for very long because I know we're getting, you know, it's a little long on time here. But um, I love that the sound of that desk sonically. I love it, but I prefer everything ergonomically about the SD seven. You know. I agree. Just,
0: it's all Everywhere. the, it's all the bells and whistles and ergonomics and, uh, snapshots. And, you know, as I got deeper, that was what I was going to tell you was it, my initial reaction was like, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe this does sound better. But then as I dug into it, I was like, Ooh, I don't like this so much. Or, you know, like, um, the, uh, I'm just trying to remember some of the things, but I, I noticed things right I away.
1: You, I can tell you a million of them. You turn one knob and the threshold moves this way. You turn the other knob doing the same thing, but turning the knob that way moves the threshold. That's there's- it. Yes, I did notice that. And also, and, and I've been uh, quoted as saying this before, the, You know, one of the, its greatest strengths is the fact that you can do e- everything five different ways. The problem is it doesn't have a very like, there's not a like just default way in everyone's head of doing it one way. And I'll end up with these like hybrid workflows that I'd prefer to not have you know I, that's totally and, what i discovered yeah you and i talked we're talking a lot about the sd7 of course the digico platform as a whole is fantastic but I, I will say the sd7 with that meter bridge with that extra set of 12 faders put all your extra shit on the way it feels if i want to kick my feet up on that motherfucker the way it feels like yeah. it's gonna fall apart you know so uh and, and, and then going back to them who they are as people and as a company i just it's hard to I've been thinking a lot about that during this downtime too, you know, cause I have all these, you know, me and my brain's just like, and I want to do all these things. I'm like, man, why don't you just shut up and stay right where you are? Cause it's, <laughs> it's where you need to be. You no, know, I, I just, I, I, dig it. And especially now that they've really upped the ante with the quantum things, spike, spice rack and all this. Yeah, it's
0: spice rack and mustard are pretty amazing. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I know we're
1: getting long on time. I can think of things I dislike about the digico too <laughs> but that's like you know and
0: nothing, no nothing, it nothing. is i mean you know that's I, I think you know again we are we are talking about the quirkiness of stuff but honestly like if you brought me an ssl a uh, uh um a yamaha um a digico a uh avid um, even like, you know, I guess there's the, the new, uh, Midas console that's kind of Midas Behringer partner. I haven't heard it, but a lot of people are saying that it's amazing. Um, you, you know what I mean? It's like, if you bring me those top five consoles, put me in front of them and say, this is your tool. I, I'll be fine with it. Like, okay, cool. I just prefer, you know, just like ice cream, I prefer strawberry. Um, I prefer Digico um, because my workflow in it is is so much quicker. But um, anyway, I uh, hope you guys got a bunch out of this. Um, it was a lot of fun to just kind of have a conversation about consoles and older consoles and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we didn't do maybe a whole lot of teaching today, but it was a fun conversation about, um, you know, the evolution of what we have used as consoles. Um, so shout out to maybe some of you older guys out there watching this. Um, you know, you may have had some of the similar experiences that we had. Um, so anyway, thanks a lot for tuning in guys. Subscribe, tell your friends. See you everybody.